Powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Greetings and greetings, everyone. Welcome to the last week of March, which means we're right here at Easter almost. Today on the program, our focus is going to be on, guess what? The financial markets. And I've got a financial markets expert today, my good friend, Nancy Davis. And you may have seen her on CNBC or heard her on various podcasts or interview shows. And so with no further ado, let me get on about my business of introducing her to you. She founded Quadratic Capital in 2013. She's the portfolio manager for the Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF. That ticker is IVOL. She began her career at Goldman Sachs, where she spent nearly 10 years, the last seven with the proprietary trading group, where she became the head of credit derivatives and OTC trading. She has been the recipient of numerous industry recognitions. Barron's named her to their inaugural list of the 100 most influential women in U.S. finance. Institutional investor called her a rising star of hedge funds, and the hedge fund journal tapped her as one of tomorrow's titans. Nancy writes and speaks frequently about markets and investing. She has been profiled by Forbes and interviewed by Barron's, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, and The Financial Times, among others. And she is also, and this is where I see her a lot, she's a frequent guest on television, including CNBC, Bloomberg, CNN, and CBS. And with all of those fantastic media outlets, how did I ever get you to come on here? So, <laughs> Tony, thank you for having me on as your guest. I really appreciate it. You bet. And I'm excited to talk to you because, I mean, there's a whole lot going on in the financial world right now. But let's begin by just talking about, you live in Greenwich now. Yes. And where did you grow up? So I'm a Florida native. I grew up in Florida and I was dirty and outside and barefoot most of my childhood. <laughs> well, that explains a lot. You're a Southerner. <laughs> yeah, no wonder I, I understand you well. <laughs> I don't know if Florida counts as the South, but well, I guess so. <laughs> the Florida Southern accent is different than all the others. I will say. That. Yeah. Sometimes people can't understand me. They think I mumble. <laughs> So did you grow up in the South Florida area or the Panhandle or where'd you grow up in Florida? No, more like Central, Central Florida. Central Florida. Okay. So Gainesville, yeah. somewhere around that area. I grew up specifically in Tampa. So it's Central West oh, Coast. Yeah. So Tampa, we're... Tampa, St. Pete. That's yes. A exactly. It's a beautiful city. I really like it there. Yeah. My so, parents are still there. Oh, they are? Well, good. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's where everybody goes. So why would you ever leave? <laughs> I, everybody's moving to Florida and Texas. Tell me a little bit about growing up. Like, how did you discover that you had an interest in financial stuff? I didn't know anything about it growing up. My parents weren't in the industry. You know, I don't think they've ever bought any kind of financial security besides their home. And that's it. So it wasn't like I was around it on a day-to-day -day basis. 
I kind of got into it, I guess, when I was a college student. And I think whenever you find something that you really like doing and you do it for fun and your free time and it fires you up, it's a great place to make a career. So I had a academic scholarship in college, but my parents were not sending me checks. I had a job and I wanted to go out to dinner with my friends and pay for all those things. And so I worked and I think it was through my job that I actually started getting interested in the financial markets and learning more about it so I could be more successful with my day job. And I just found that I had a real passion for it. And so I feel really lucky to have found that early. Well, it sounds like one of those scenarios where, and I, you know, a lot of people say this, where looking forward when you're trying to think about your life and plan your life, it just looks crazy. But when you get down the road in your life a little and look backward, it all makes sense, like how it all came about and one thing led to another and that led to the pathway of where you are now. So I want to get to the part where you decided to have your own fund, but Mm -hmm. I'm afraid I'm missing some stuff I'm because connect some dots. How did you come by deciding to work at Goldman? I applied off the internet. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the difference between the different Wall Street firms. And I had applied to a bunch of them online and I got a couple calls for interviews. And I remember talking to one of my professors who did have some experience, at least knowing about the different Wall Street firms. And he told me, he said, you should go to Goldman Sachs. It's the best firm. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And that's how it happened. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't. I didn't know the difference. I didn't know much about investment banking or Wall Street or any of that stuff, but I did land up in a good place. So that was great advice. Yeah. So you were there for 10 years and then seven of those, was seven of those 10 years you were in the trading group where then you ended up running that particular department? It was a proprietary trading group. So we didn't have any customers. It was just Goldman's own capital that we were investing. So it was a really amazing place to be a part of, especially during that period, because that doesn't even exist anymore after the financial crisis. So I'm also interested to hear that you were on the list of 100 most influential women in U.S. finance. Who are some other people that would have been on that list that you admire or that you think are... (laughs) Well, they had a lot of amazing women. I was on their first list, but they've had a whole bunch of other ones since then. And, you know, I remember Janet Yellen was on the list my year, and I definitely felt very humbled to be on the list. And I noticed I was one of the few women entrepreneurs on the list. A lot Mm -hmm. of the women worked for larger Wall Street firms. And so I definitely was very proud of being kind of a female founder and CEO and working for myself. But I did feel like very, you're not worthy (laughs) for other reasons because there are so many successful women on the list. Yeah, absolutely. So have you always thought that you might become an entrepreneur someday? Like how did that come about where you decided, hey, I need to have my own business here? I do think it's universally the American dream, right? To, To work for yourself and to create a firm and to do something that you love. I had kind of an interesting path to get there. I think a lot of it is the courage to be able to leave your job, leave a place where you're getting paid to work and actually start investing in yourself. And it's a real change of mindset to go from being paid to work to paying to work and paying other people to work for you and having all the startup costs and investment. But I think for me, 
it was probably after I left Goldman, I joined the largest hedge fund in the world, which was part of JP Morgan. And that was a pretty wild time to be in a hedge fund. And the reason I left the firm was I was having, you know, quite frankly, a little bit of trouble with having two kids that were both, one was a baby, one was a toddler commuting down to lower Manhattan every day from Greenwich. It was just, I never saw my children. It was on the weekend. And when JP Morgan was trying to recruit me, I was like, not interested, not going. And the thing that kind of pulled me outside of Goldman was the flexibility of being able to work in Greenwich. So they actually opened a Greenwich office for me. This was before the whole work from home thing became, you know, (laughs) acceptable. Yeah, it's one positive from the pandemic is I think a lot of women, especially moms, dads, parents get a lot more flexibility to have the ability to work from home. But back then that wasn't something that was done. Right. But long story short, during the financial crisis, it was a tough time for a lot of hedge funds. And I decided to have, you know, as an investor, I really just was like, look, I left because I wanted to spend more time with my kids. The zero to three period really matters. A lot of people in Scandinavia will take off two, three years to raise their children and then they go back to work. And so I actually was a stay-at-home mom for three and a half years. I stayed at home. Yeah, it was, but I think it ties into how I started my firm in a weird way. So I was a stay-at-home mom for three and a half years. And then when my youngest child started kindergarten was when I came back to my career. And I think I felt very fearless because after being out and going from being a soccer mom to reporting to the CEO of one of the largest Wall Street firms, and they were owned by a huge insurance company. And I just was like, I'm employable. You know, I'm like, I still got it. It's like a couple years later, but I felt very validated that I completely could get a job if I wanted to. And I decided that I, I had this great idea and I wanted to start a firm that did things a little differently and I should just do it. So it I was, love that. I love yeah, that. I love that. A little bit of courage from an unusual source. Yeah. I love that. So I've been in working and been around long enough that we're going to enable you to work from home meant you were going to get fired. So it's nice that that doesn't mean that anymore. It means you're actually going to have some flexibility and you can actually have capacity from your house. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think COVID I think COVID kind of did us a favor in that regard. That was one of the good things that came out of COVID was I think we decided we had to do work different Mm -hmm. and it it works for some companies and it doesn't work so well for others, but in the companies it does work well for, that's good. Tell me a little bit about your team. So I have a great team. We've been together for a long time. I think the teamwork aspect really kind of kicked in when I was on the Goldman trading desk and seeing when you have a common goal and you work together and how positive it can be. So yeah, it's been almost 10 years now that I've been running Quadratic and I guess now longer, almost longer than I was at Goldman. So it's pretty, pretty crazy how time goes. (laughs) So tell me about like, what was the catalyst that caused you to come up with having this fund that was going to be based on interest rate volatility? How did you come up with that idea or that thought that you were going to have an entire fund based on that? Well, I've always thought it was really strange that most bond investors only have short fixed income volatility in their portfolio. And it's actually, Tony, a super timely question because that it's always the same thing that blows up 
portfolios, whether it was the SNL crisis or Silicon Valley Bank last weekend, it's always short volatility. And I think that's one thing that I've always stood on my soapbox and been like, look, if you have US mortgages in your portfolio, you are short volatility because homeowners are along the option to prepay. And that's exactly what happened to Silicon Valley Bank is they were not hedging that short volatility, the prepayment risk, and they had more duration than they expected because less homeowners prepaid with interest rates moving higher. But it's always the same story. And I just think it's kind of silly to only allow investors to be short vol on their bond portfolio. And so I was like, you know, doesn't make any sense. I think it's silly. And I want to give people better choices and solutions to help be different, right? The whole point of portfolio diversification is to not look like everything else. And so I just thought it was a good idea to do. Are there some industries more than others that invest in your fund? You know, initially we had a lot of endowments. So a lot of universities with their investment committees who used it, it's probably, I mean, maybe because it's like intellectually stimulating or different, or they're more intellectually curious. I'm not really sure, but initially it was a lot of endowment investors. But then as we grew, we then added a lot of other fund managers, which I'm really proud of. I love when other financial professionals will own our products and their funds or in their personal accounts. It just makes me super happy to know that people in the know understand what we're doing and think it's really valuable. So, yeah. yeah. So for our listeners, just if you can just kind of explain that what your fund does is it's a hedge on the downside risk, but you also have some upside potential. So can you just sort of explain how that works? Yeah. So I would say like all investing involves risk. So our fund is not like a hedge on the downside risk because there are a lot of different downside risks and they can always change. What we did is we took a tips portfolio. So these are treasury inflation protected securities. They're type of treasury bond that's linked to the consumer price index. And then we try to fix the issues that exist with tips by themselves. Tips were only created by the US treasury in 1997 they are bonds, right? All tips have duration. So they all lose money when interest rates go higher. It's just a question of how much duration they have. Even a short duration tip is still long duration. It's just less long. I've always had a problem with that name. I think it's kind of like, to me, short means that you make money when it goes down. And it's well, still that is typically what it means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a common, one of those jargon terms that's a misnomer in my opinion. But anyway, we were trying to fix the problem with duration inside of tips and then also give another measure of inflation besides the consumer price index. You know, when I started my career at Goldman in the late 90s, not to date myself, but it was right when the US Treasury invented the tips market. And it's kind of always been a crew on passion of mine to say, like, look, I just don't think it's appropriate to use one index to measure anything. You know, like you would never buy the Dow Jones or the Russell or the NASDAQ and say, today I have the equity market. And I think it's foolish that people would use one index to measure inflation, mm -hmm. especially index like CPI. Even the Fed doesn't use CPI only. And a third of that index is in the owner-occupied rent, it's shelter, which is rent. A lot of companies that I've worked with in the past and I work with now have some, we call them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Do you have something like that in quadratic? I have never heard that word before. So, Do you have never heard of a BHAG? 
No. Oh, okay. Yep. Big, hairy, audacious goal. It's like a 20 year goal that's out there that you're steering your firm toward and it's pretty stretch and we're all going to have to work really hard, but we're focused on making it. I think big picture, like what we're focused on is giving investors choices and trying to better investor outcomes. Like all investing is involving risk. Like it's not like anything is going to always make money, but at least I want people to have the choice to not just be short fixed income volatility in their bond portfolio and at least have a way of solving the issues that exist with tips alone. But I've never heard that acronym, but I have a, I have plenty of hair. <laughs> well, well, that'll give, that'll give me something to Off the zoom screen. Right? That BHAG, that'll give me something to email you. So, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what's your dream for quadratic though. I mean, you've got something for the customers. Do you have anything that involves your employees and, and you? We want to build a positive convexity firm, something that has a different type of payout, a different type of risk management. And I think we're doing that. It's mm-hmm. been 10 years and I'm looking forward to the next 10 and continuing to grow and develop the firm and kind of get the message out there. So can you tell me a little bit about where you see the financial markets going? It's tough. I know there are a lot of people that love to make predictions and their macro goals and their crystal ball about what's going to happen. I think it's one of those things for me. I think it's really, I don't personally think I have any crystal ball about what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think even if you knew the outcome of what a policymaker is going to do, you might not necessarily know the market's reaction to what they do. Right. So it's like a multi-layered thing. For me, I think investors just need to have different things in their portfolio, right? At the end of the day, like the whole point of diversification is to not have everything lose money together. You don't want in a period when equities sell off to have correlations go to one and everything loses money together. And I think 2022 is kind of a reminder that that can absolutely happen. Like there's no rule that stocks and bonds have to be negatively correlated. You know, they have been a lot of the times, but it's not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. And so for me, I think it's more about being able to give investors different tools that they can use in any way that they think is appropriate. Like somebody could be the biggest deflation person in the world, right? They could be the biggest deflationista and they could have their portfolio all in tech stocks and other deflationary views. They still might want to own eyeball just in case they're all wrong. You know, oh, exactly. so I think I think it's not my job to predict what's going to happen. It's my job to deliver these differentiated products and people can build their own dream castle with their portfolio based on their views. Yeah, I love that. So tell me what's a question I should ask you that I haven't asked you. You've been great. You've got a worldwide expert here. I'm afraid I'm missing something. So, (laughs) Well, big picture, I think you have to be very careful with portfolio asset allocation and not just go by strategy name only. Our fund has a mouthful of a name. It's long. And I think sometimes that people hear the word volatility and it's like a negative connotation. And I think that's one of the things that I try to emphasize is that if you don't own fixed income volatility in your portfolio, you may potentially be short it because of mortgage exposure and all sorts of other older instruments and the way the indices have been working, especially market cap weighted fixed income interest indices with years and years of interest rates going lower. They've 
increase their weighting to treasuries and mortgages. And I think as we've seen, there's nothing risk-free, you know, everything involves risk. And that's kind of what led to the Silicon Valley blow up was having more duration risks than they thought because of the mortgage extension. I tell you over my career, which has been long and I won't go back to years to date myself, but I've heard a lot of bad company names and yours is not bad. I love, <laughs> I love quadratic. Where did that inspiration come from? Where, how did you settle on quadratic as a name? Because it doesn't matter what long name you have. People are going to automatically shorten it and shorten it to quadratic is still a win. Cause I think that's a great win, but how did you come up with that? Well, it's probably going to sound really nerdy, but it's for my love of algebraic equations. Wow, okay. After the quadratic equation, I just thought it was a great a great name to describe a positive convexity. You know, if you think of that graphically, the quadratic equation is that smile. You know, a short options position is, you know, the most you can make is the day that you sell it and you just hope it expires worthless. So it has an asymmetric that way. We're a positive asymmetry. So I just thought it was a great name to describe us. And I I should have paid better attention in (laughs) class, but I love that name. I ask 12 rapid fire questions of every guest that comes on the show. So you will nail these, but do you mind if I ask you these 12 questions? Sure. That's Okay. okay. All right. Here's question number one, best memory that immediately comes to mind for you in your life. Oh, probably one of my um, birthday parties as a child. One in particular? (laughs) I'll call my parents afterwards and tell them. Yeah. Say, hey, what was my best birthday, you think? Yeah. Be a good conversation starter. Who's the number one hero in your life? I don't know. That's an interesting question, Tony. I've never thought about that before. Like nobody, I have a lot of heroes in my life, but no, like, you know, one above the other. I can think of like probably 15 names just flow into my mind right now, but there's not like. Yeah. Give me three. That's... Give me three. <laughs> well, I don't want to offend anyone either. So I'll, I'll keep that. <laughs> you know? All right. What's the top core value you subscribe to? What's your favorite? I think I just like people who are real. I value people who are sincere. Sincerity and transparency. Yeah. Who's the most important person in your life? Well, these are kind of personal questions. I'm a. We ask every guest that comes on the show. All right, I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> but you know, well, the one I love the most is when people say me. <laughs> well, that's that was not be my answer. So. <laughs> What's your favorite thing? I don't know. I guess I'm regretting agreeing to these twelve questions because I don't. I don't you, know my favorite. Well, you, I know you like Twitter because that's how we met. Oh, I don't really like Twitter very much. I feel like it's kind of been a little bit of a adventure and something I'm glad that I tried it within the last year, but I wouldn't say it's like definitely not even on the page of favorite things. You'll see when somebody <laughs> struggles with the answer, I just throw something out, you know, usually yeah. find out what they don't like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel it's always easier to know like what people don't like than yeah. what they do like. <laughs> What's your favorite food? Indian food. Oh. Most beautiful place you've ever visited? Mm, the Peruvian Amazon. Oh, what was cool about that? Just the Amazon River and the water and the size of it. And Speaking of company names, you know, I always thought Bezos was genius to come up with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's awesome. If you could describe success in one word, what word would it be? Persistent. 
How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a good person. I try to be really open when people reach out to me and help people and not for any self-derived pleasure, just to like do the right thing for folks. Just a great, honest, transparent leader. If you could go back and have a conversation with a younger Nancy, what advice would you give her? I'd say everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Everything will be fine. Yeah. What's your favorite sound? I play the bass guitar, so probably the bass, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. What kind yeah. of bass do you have? So I played stand-up when I was in high school. Oh, you uh, play the big one. Yeah, the stand-up. And yeah, then yeah. I played the electric guitar later yeah, as well. So you, I like them all. You play the big one like the in the jazz bands mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I love jazz. Out of all the lessons you've learned in your life, what's the best lesson? Probably the golden rule. Treat other people how you want to be treated. That's probably the best one. We've been visiting with Nancy Davis. She is the founder and also leader of Quadratic Capital. Nancy, if people want to find out more about how to get in touch with your team and how to invest with you, what do they need to do? Probably the easiest way is our fund website that has a lot of materials and information. And that website is? Oh, it's eyeball, like not I, but interest rate, like interest rate volatility, ETF.com, I-V-O-L-E-T-F.com. Okay. I-V-O-L-E-T-F.com. Wonderful. Go there and check out Nancy's company and see all the ways that she could possibly help you because I'm sure there are a bunch of them. I really (laughs) appreciate you taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I'll figure out some way to return the favor at some point. Oh, no, I really appreciate being your guest. It's definitely a lot of profound questions you asked me tonight. (laughs) Uh, I'm a coach. Yeah. I did an interview last week with somebody and they're like, oh, my God, now I know how it feels to be coached by you. Like you ask all (laughs) these questions. Well, thank you for doing this today. I know you're a busy person, especially with everything that's going on right now. And I will be watching the media for all your comments and insight. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the discussion. Wow. What a special interview and what a special show we get to have today with so many inside nuggets on what's going on in the financial markets these days. Very turbulent, lots and lots of hills and valleys in the markets these days. And so I'm really happy I was able to get Nancy on the show, and I hope you enjoyed that because she is a very, very busy person. You can subscribe to my free weekly newsletter, The Monday Morning Memo, by going to my website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. You can find the box at the bottom of the page, enter your email address, and you're all signed up to get my thoughts each Monday morning for free as you roll into your week. It's The Monday Morning Memo from Clear Vision Development and me, Tony Richards. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and Clear Vision DEV. Special thanks as always to our producer, Tessa Hall. And you can subscribe to our free Facebook page, Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach. So until we visit again next week, I'm your master coach, Tony Richards, reminding you here to join us for Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. And also, don't you dare forget, that everything gets better when you get better. 
Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.